If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant we promises? They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work, work, for them. work. It's Thursday. Today is Thursday. I've brought you the greatest gift of all. Oh, yeah? Well, in that case, entertain me. It's showtime. Make use of the help that God puts around you. We are not a glum lot. A promise is a promise. It's very simple. Just don't drink and go to meetings. Give time, time. Easy does it. I do it. Want to have self-esteem? Just do esteemable things. One day at a time. We carry the message, not the alcoholic. Don't quit before the miracle happens. We're the defective characters. Three guys sitting around talking about our own personal experience in recovery. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm Dennis. Hi, James here. The opinions are our own. We don't represent any particular organization, institution, or fellowship. Today, we'll be sharing about our experience with the promises 7 through 12. In this episode 32 of the Defective Characters Podcast. Let's go. How's it going, gentlemen? Promises part two. You know what I love? I love that initially we we were like, yeah, we'll just do an episode on the promises and then realized how many promises there actually are. <laughs> Yeah, and how much we actually have to say on them. Um, we we already did one through six, um, talking about those. If you're listening to this one and uh, jumped ahead and, and missed one through six, uh, maybe go back, check it out, and, uh, and go in order uh, with us. Kind of learning a lot about the, the promises. I, I didn't realize that there were 12 until we went into it. Um, and... I think they do get, uh, I want to say like beefier towards the end, you know, like they're really, they really stand out. Um, yeah, I think they, they get a little bit more extravagant seeming towards the end for sure. Um, do you guys want to jump into, uh, to number seven? We'll do the, uh, the final six promises as they're laid out in the big book. Yes. Yes, I do. I guess if y'all <laughs> oh, want Dennis. to. Okay. No, okay. Number seven is we will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. I'll go. All right, James. So this uh, has come true halfway. Actually, it's come true most of the way, but my selfish tendencies come back a lot more than I would like. Um, but these days I have, you know, the, the tools and the, the program and, the fellowship to help me to not stay in that selfishness. So um, when it says that our, our selfishness, read it again for me, Mike. 
Yeah, we will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Okay. So uh, the best thing for me to say is that you lose interest in selfish things. Um, for me, that looks like um, doing stuff for other people. Um, I, I, I go to meetings all the time and, you know, I'm always I'm going to work so I can get money. So are those selfish things? I'm not sure. Um, but when I, I know when I help another alcoholic and I, I work with another alcoholic, um, that kind of gets me out of myself for a little bit. Um, doing service for others gets me out of myself. Um, a lot of times I don't want to do these things, but I know that it, in the long run it helps me. It's just it's a weird thing, you know. When I was drinking, um, all I cared about was me, me, me. Uh, what did I have to do today um, to to get out of myself? Which meant to get get alcohol, get drugs, and make sure they got in my body as soon as possible. Which meant a lot of the times, not even waiting to get home before I started drinking. I was in the car, in the in the parking lot of the package store. Um, so before I came into the rooms this last time, I was just so selfish and self-centered. I, I didn't care who I hurt or what I had to do. And it was just miserable. Um, once I had a new god in my life um i was able to really learn to put god first and um that that required faith and that required me in believing that there was a higher power and at this point when i came into the rooms i knew there was a higher power um it kind of just struck me one day uh, i went through a lot um <clears throat> After I, I had this faith in this new higher power, I was, um, you know, over time, I, I learned that I had to put God first and then other people second and then myself third. Um, that was how I was truly going to have a, a real life, a peaceful life. Uh, when I did that, um, it was, you know, just a life-changing way to live and like I said in the beginning, it's it's been hard. You know, I I wake up and I pray, but I could be going an hour or two where all I'm thinking about is myself. Like I'm hot, I'm hungry, and then I, why isn't things going my way? When I'm like that, uh, when I'm not praying, putting God first and other people second, and I'm acting like that, I'm acting on impulse, I'm acting on my emotions, and most of the time I'll get into an argument and I'll just be miserable for a good half an hour, 45 minutes, even longer. Sometimes I'm, I'm pretty good about getting out of my own despair from my own self-destruction, but I haven't learned to always put God and other people first. So that's what I'm working on. And I do have the tools. Hope you got something out of that. Awesome. Uh, Dennis, as far as when the promise came true to lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows, when did that come true for you? Uh, that's a hard question. I don't, I don't know. 
I think it's it was probably more of a gradual thing. I know, was there like, a moment that stands out when, in your life where, where like, you could feel you're like, yeah, this isn't something I would usually do? Well, I think probably, like, first coming into the rooms, like, before I ever came in, you know, I was, you know, selfishness, I, I, I read as, like, self-centeredness. So, like, it'd be like, like James touched on and said is, is, you know, all I thought about was me, so whenever I took an action in the world to get what I wanted or not do what I wanted, the only concern in, you know, that I, that I like, you know, looked at whether if I wanted to do it or was going to do it or not would be me. How did I feel about it? How did it affect me without thinking of the consequences of anyone around me or anything to where when I shifted into the room, it, it became, you know, probably gradually, I don't, I can't really honestly say uh, that there is one moment, but it, it shifted to where like, you know, if my actions, you know, make someone cry, like that feels bad to me. I don't want to do that. So now like if, if I have to take an action or I'm motivated to do something, it, it's, I consider the collateral damage that it might have or the benefit that it would have to others. And I think like in service work, you know, it's, it's, I do a lot of service work and show up to meetings and stuff that I really don't want to. And, you know, I do it because of my presence or like, you know, being a listening ear or, or just getting a task accomplished benefits other people. And in turn, that makes me feel good. So you know, is it selfish? Is it not selfish? I, I can't really say, but it's not self-centered because it's not like my benefit is not the only thing that I'm looking at. I think one point that kind of stands out is early on in recovery, you know, I, I was going to the meetings and I was going in, you know, what can I get out of these meetings? How is this going to help me save me from the miserable state that I am and and make me a better person and live a happier life or whatever. And then at some point, you know, like, I think there was a lot of things where like, at first I didn't pick up chips or whatever. And then my sponsor told me that you don't pick up chips for yourself. You pick it up for the newcomer and for other people to show that it works. So it's a benefit to them. And it like dawned on me like, Oh my gosh. So that from that point I started picking up chips same with chairing the meeting, same with making coffee or any other type of service thing. It's, it's okay. So you don't want to do it. You don't think it's going to benefit you, but in doing that, you are doing a service, you know, even going to work, like James mentioned, like you go to work, yeah, to get money or whatever, but you're providing a service. You're helping out the economy. You're helping out, uh, your family and your, your significant others and stuff by contributing, and, you know, so it's not a completely self-centered action, even though you benefit from it by getting paid. You're actually helping the whole world in a way. Um, I think one of the most profound moments I had when I, that I think it was my sponsor that told me, and it was really early on in sobriety, and I was talking about, I don't even know what, but something about the meetings and, and probably something that someone said in a meeting or something and my sponsor just looked at me and he's like, look, none of this has anything to do with you. And that kind of like woke me up a little bit. It's like, oh, my God, none of this does have anything to do with me. You know, like 
me getting sober, me getting a job, me doing these things has nothing to do with me. Like the fo- like it like it affects so many more people the actions that I take and the things that I do that it doesn't you know like my part in it is so insignificant compared to like all the other people around that are benefiting from it or like affected by it and that was like profound for me I can literally take myself out of the situation and not have to worry or you know bicker or complain or whatever because like literally all I am is just a tool that is here for the benefit of other people and that's like so it's so profound to me to this day still talking about it um but yeah then as far as the interest in other people i remember as a kid and i know i'm rambling so you don't have to cut me off james (laughs) i'll stop soon um but like i remember as a kid like as a real young kid and stuff and like someone would say something about someone else or whatever and like a common thing that i would say is oh i don't care about them i don't know them you know, or like, oh, why do I care what that person feels or whatever? You know, it's like they're just insignificant. They're not even real in my world. So, like, I don't think about them, or care about them. Where now with the level of empathy that I have or whatever and being in the rooms and working with other, you know, struggling alcoholics and addicts or whatever, that like I find myself caring you know when i look at the stuff that happens in the world and i hear a story about someone in some far off country that i've never been to on the other side of the world that i don't even know anything about and i hear a story of their suffering i can feel it you know i i care about them i don't want them to suffer and i think it's like a complete 180 from when i was a kid where i just didn't care about anyone else except for myself yeah, thank you, Dennis. I know my um, my first home group, what we do, and I mentioned it before, and I think that around the country they, they do it. They still have printed out the, the meeting lists, and we have it in our home group as well. Where, But it, in this one, it, it has three folds to it, and in my original home group, if there was a new guy in the room or a new girl, they would put, you know, men on the top and hand it around and you would put your telephone number. If somebody said they were had in their first like 30 days and I would always love to, I would underline my name and this is probably when I had, I think I started doing it when I had like four months time, I would underline my name because if that person was going through a tough time and they were new in sobriety, I would want them to call me. Um, and it it was just so enjoyable when my phone and I kind of miss it at this point because I don't have we don't do it as much in our home group of handing around a list of numbers, you know, because it's it's really scary, you know, to go up to somebody at the end of a meeting if you're new and ask them for your telephone number. So this makes it easy. So if they're going through a tough time they have a list of names and numbers of people that they can call if they're having a tough time. And I would just light up when I would get a call from a number that I didn't have saved in my phone and just 
hoping that it was another alcoholic that was going through a tough time and it would take me out of myself and allow me to be of service, you know? And it sounds so crazy because before coming to the rooms, I mean, first of all, how many of us even answer phone phone calls that we don't have that number saved in our phone, you know? Um, Honestly, I don't. But, But if in our home group we did do that, I bet you probably would more often than not. You know, it's just that we we don't like if, if it's so ingrained in your program that, hey, if there's somebody who, you know, calls and you don't have their number, then as soon as they say, hey, my name's Bill, then you have that number saved in your phone. And yeah. uh, as of late, you know, since we are in our separate studios still away from each other in this crazy time of the coronavirus now more than ever i still have the initial meeting list from when i went to meetings in vermont and i talked about it in a previous episode i just grabbed that and i actually call those people that put their name and number down to check in on them because a lot of the guys were old timers and big book thumpers and they are most susceptible to what's happening and I think it's the least that uh, that I can do to kind of pay it forward and check in on how people are. Um, that's when I first realized some of the the selfishness had slipped away, and and the interest in the fellows was I would just say, okay, why do you feel that way? You know, there's nothing to drink, and kind of talk them off the proverbial ledge um, that I know I was on. You know, the first year several times over just the stupidest things that didn't even make sense. Uh, seven and eight, the promises are, are similar. I guess if you guys have a different take on it or if you have a different definition, uh, seven again is we will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. And eight is self-seeking will slip away. Um, do you find a difference in those, James? Um, it's pretty similar. Yeah. Um, I did have another thought about, yeah. um, it's actually what, a story my sponsor uh, shared with me. He remembers the time when, um, he was, he was in a concert and, um, a, a young girl was singing the national anthem and he remembered for the first time that he could remember that he felt just so much happiness for this young girl who's singing the national anthem. He didn't care. He didn't know her, but he he like he felt for the first time that he was out of himself, that he felt joy for another person. And when he shares the story, it's like, yeah, you know, like it's it's good once you get out of yourself and you stop self-seeking, you can actually experience joy and you know compassion and happiness for other people when we were when we were you know in our addiction we we couldn't we're just cut off from that we did not we couldn't feel compassion i couldn't feel it and let alone joy for someone else so that was a cool story yeah he remembers the exact point in time when he he got out of himself and he could actually feel something for someone else and like and, and not want anything else for himself. Like there was nothing else he got out of it except joy for the other person. So I wanted to share that. That is a really cool story. I wonder what sentence of the national anthem 
she was on when he felt that. <laughs> if it was like the land of the free. Bombs burst in the air. Yeah, for sure. I bet, I bet it was the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> bomb my money's on that. That's a good call, Dennis. So as far as yeah. seven and eight, yeah. do you have anything else you want to share? I mean, they're similar, but there, there's got to be I, some difference. I want to, yeah, I, I would say like, <clears throat> like they are similar, but it, in the wording of the self-seeking will slip away. You know, like I could confidently say like, you know, give or take, you know, lose interest in selfish thing and gain interest in a fellows. I think that promise has come true for me. And I think I can, you know, given on the day, confidently say absolutely. But worded as self-seeking will slip away. I don't think I can honestly say that that promise has come true for me. You know, I think there's still a part of me, especially when it like evolve or involves my uh, like my dream career and stuff, you know, as far as writing and making movies and stuff like that. I think like in doing that, when I like write a screenplay or write a or film a short film or something like that, I I feel like I am completely self-seeking in that, you know, because I'm doing it because the only my main motivation is one, I like to create things. It's just fun, but like it gives me pleasure, you know, and I know I work with other people and it's a, a you know, other people are involved that it also gives them pleasure and stuff like that. But at times it's it's like I feel like for many years I only pursued like my dreams, you know, and my like I'm going to make it in this industry and I'm going to do this or whatever to the point where I didn't even work a job. You know, obviously, like part of that time that I didn't work a job, I couldn't because my mental state and my alcoholism and drug addiction and stuff. But to a point, it's like I focused all on that without thinking about it. To where, you know, finally, like a month or so ago, I did get a job that pays money and I'm able to relatively support myself and stuff now. But I almost feel like there is still a part of me that is self-seeking yeah. in that aspect it, of my life. I'm glad, you know, uh, like this promise in particular reminds me of the slogan, uh, progress, not perfect, because it says that it will slip away. But it doesn't say completely slip away. And that's a good thing. I mean, to touch on what you said, um, you know, it is a day at a time that we have to go through. And self-seeking slipping away, I think it's, I always strive for a war for 1% to be selfless. I want to be more selfless than selfish. I feel like there are some times where... um, it's not that way, you know, and I know that just more work needs to be put in, you know, at that point. And so I'm glad it almost like keeps me in check, you know, knowing that um, I can always do better. It's not myself up, but, but trying, you know. Yeah. Can I can I throw sure. something out there that completely changes the meaning of that line? And I don't <laughs> it doesn't invalidate anything we said. And I could be completely wrong on this. What if the line actually means something completely different here? We're just in speculative territory, but like self-seeking slip away. Like for me and I know many others like 
when we're out there using and we we lose all sense of ourselves and our identity right and then we get on this quest of finding out who we are what who is dennis you know am i this alcoholic am i this person or whatever and in a way to separate it from the selfishness aspect of it but into the self-seeking seeking one's own self or whatever in a way working the steps and coming into recovery that has slipped away where I no longer have to worry about who I am or who, you know, the, the great question of who is the, the being the living entity that is Dennis, you know, and that slips away because now because of the program, I have a primary purpose. I have uh, a little bit more confidence in who I am as a person and my place in a person. No, I, a, I, a I think it thought. makes sense. It will, and uh, as well, like when we were talking about promise one through six, you know, I do think just like the steps and the traditions, there's a reason things are in that order. They kind of lead into it one another because what you're talking about goes right into nine. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change, you know, and how we're doing that. Uh, J- James, yeah, like your attitude yeah. has needed to change every time in the beginning when you uh, were working with a sponsor and then didn't work in the next one. When did that attitude officially uh, like change for you to make that promise come true? Well, um, our whole, my whole attitude on life changed really when I, when I adopted faith. Uh, and let go of fear, you know, when I, um, could I, what I could finally do was step three with all my heart and, uh, just realize that, you know, no matter what I do, as long as I do it at the best of my ability, you know, God has me. Um, that was the pivotal changing point for me. I, um, once there was a higher power in my life, um, you know, my, my whole attitude on life changed. Um, and, um, you know, like I said a little earlier, it, it goes up and down. You know, sometimes I, I don't have a, a very good attitude, um, but it's very fleeting. Uh, my negative thoughts and um, my negative emotions are few and far between. Uh, Dennis can attest to that. He, he knows me as a, a kind-hearted soul with very little fight. <laughs> And, um, Sometimes. <laughs> and, um, you know. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> thanks for your honesty, Dennis. That's nice. <laughs> I love you. I know. I know. <laughs> so, you know, just to keep it short and simple, when I did a, a foolproof, I shouldn't say full, when I did a step three with all my heart, and I really let it change my life. Uh, everything's been different since then. So, uh, Dennis? Yeah, I would agree with James. Like, step three was very profound in changing the way that I look, you know, and that surrender it was very powerful. But also, I'll add, connecting it to step nine, you know, before I came in, I, I was full of anxieties and fear, like just consumed by it. You know, I'm scared of the outside world. I'm scared of people. I'm scared of everything at that point in my life. And doing a step nine, you know, like I carried a lot of stuff 
from my childhood with my parents and my siblings, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame and stuff. And whenever I did the ninth step with like my parents, especially and their reaction to it as being different than what I expected and being more like understand. It's like, Oh, you weren't that bad. You know, just keep doing good. You're doing good. You know, that kind of stuff. It, it really changed my outlook on the world and people and particularly like just because I'm carrying around all this stuff and I have this like cynical, fearful view of the world that like most people out there don't have that. And that like people aren't looking at me the way that I'm looking at that or that I'm looking at myself, you know? And I think that was really like worldview changing. And then I think you like little tools like acceptance and stuff like that and uh, principles over personality and stuff. It's really like, even like going to this, like going through the fourth step and the fifth step and being able to turn things around and trying to find the good in situations and learning forgiveness and all that kind of stuff, like really changes my whole view of the world where I can look at what's going on in the world Look at what goes on in politics and just cultural classes and all of this stuff and realize that like this viewpoint isn't the whole world that underneath all this and in between all this and over all of this, that there is still good things happening in the world and that there's, you know, that ultimately most people are doing okay and just trying to do their best in that. And, you know, trying to see that glimmer of light. Yeah, right, I, before all I, I agree with you guys as far as, um, you know, spirituality and to put into perspective uh, something that I needed to do on a daily basis several times was make gratitude lists. And that definitely helped uh, my attitude change and what I would look at because uh, before I like the stuff that I thought about was the stuff that I didn't have and how it wasn't, um, wasn't good enough, you know, and this goes to one of the promises we already spoke on about self pity. Um, gratitude list just helped me realize things are not as bad as, as I think they are, you know, and maybe if I'm even thinking yeah. a little bit like that, then I'm I'm thinking more about myself than I am other people, you know? So when I kind of take that time and depreciate the stuff that I have in my life and I, I try to the best of my ability to want what I have and not what I don't want, you know? And that definitely takes time. Uh, but my my attitude changed immensely when I started doing that. You know, whenever I would be mood i would make a gratitude list and that would instantly help my attitude uh still to this day i i'll make them in my head you know and then pick up the phone call somebody else and kind of use those those tools um yeah i want to add to that like gratitude is like gratitude list like you said i think i've mentioned mentioned in another podcast is i I do a gratitude list with James's wife every week we do it and we just name five people or five things that we are grateful for in that moment. Sometimes I'm in a 
dark place or going through something whenever we do it. But since we consistently do it, I, I do it. And it, and it does just like changing that thought, you know, from like all of this, like, Oh, what I don't have, what's going wrong to just being like, Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. And it's sunshiny out. And Oh my God, there's people that care about Are James me. and I on the you know, attitude it's, list. It's almost magic. Yeah. Um, James is on it often like and yeah, you've made it. This much. podcast has made it like, <laughs> right? would you say, <laughs> well, to, to be fair, my first, my first thing of gratitude is always, uh, God, my so family I'm, I'm and my third. friends. So you're always on it on that point, <laughs> but no, you have made it actually like, well, <laughs> James is usually standing there, so I got to throw him a little ego bone. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's true. He looks at me and he's like, James. <laughs> you know, one, one thing that's great is me and, me and, uh, and James's wife, T, will be sitting there naming the things that we're grateful for. And we're like, you know, grateful for our fellowship, grateful for this opportunity that's coming my way, grateful for this and all this. And then James is like, will like chime in with like random sarcastic comments in the middle of it. And it always makes me laugh. So then always like James's yeah. sense of humor um, makes the list. I want to jump into the, t- the 10th promise because I, I don't know. It's one of those like uh, Dennis, you mentioned earlier that you weren't sure if self 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 seeking slip away, if that actually has, is always the case. For me, fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us is uh, is one that I can easily because if especially unfortunately social media yeah. makes us often uh, see just the best in what people are doing if it's vacations or new things that they own and that's a tough one for me. Is it tough for you, James, to deal with, or how do you deal with that promise? No, you're good. Um, you're good. We, we're recording a podcast, that? but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> was it Jurassic Park? Your work, book is James, your work. What? No, I told you I was that's in the okay. study, so this it's gives good. me an opportunity to look at all the books. It is, it is and, uh, progress. I, I, ADD I, in action. I'm perfect. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're you're good. We're, we're used. Sorry, to it. I didn't mean to tune you guys out. I was, I was... That would that yeah. would be nice. I'll 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 go, and then James can catch up. Put the book brilliant, down. James. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> but I think like fear of people and of economic insecurity is almost like one of the biggest ones. You know, at the beginning you mentioned that like they keep getting bigger, more extravagant at the as they go on, and for me, like being consumed with the anxiety and stuff like that. And like the fear of people is definitely real, you know, and I think chairing meetings and doing the steps and getting outside of myself and helping people and talking to alcoholics has helped me a lot, you know, like, you know, two and a half, three years ago, there's no way I could have even done like this podcast, you know, or talk to someone I didn't know, or even I'd done a couple of acting things where there's no way I would have been able to do that because I'm so fearful of what people think of me and stuff like that. I don't know if I'm perfect at it. I'm still shy, but now it's come like to the point where I'm just shy around people. Like when I was a kid where instead of like almost having a panic attack about it or something like that, 
I think the economic insecurity thing is is uh, another difficult one because obviously we live in a society with an economic system that's reliant on money. You know, we all have to pay bills. We have to pay to to eat food. We have to, in this country, we have to pay to go to the doctors. You know, like we have to do all of this stuff and it's reliant on money. So if we miss a paycheck or we lose a job or something, it, there's real world consequence on it. But I, I think it's what's old timers have told me a lot and I hear in meetings a lot. It's not that like things like that won't happen, that we might miss a paycheck, that we might lose a job or, you know, our financial might be insecure at times, but we will learn not to fear that. We'll have faith that we will be okay going through this and that we can come out the other side. Wonderful. You know, does that, that make sense? Yeah. It sure does. <laughs> <laughs> I put it away as soon as I got as soon as I got caught, I was like, oh. And, and I, I sat back down and I listened to Dennis thoroughly. And I know what we're talking about. <laughs> what am I talking about, James? What's your opinion on that? Fear of people and economics insecurity will leave us. And um, for me, uh, short answer is yes, fear of people and economic insecurity has left me. And I'm most grateful for that. Um, I can talk about, you know, when I was out there drinking, doing my thing, living, uh, I was living life um, in emergency mode. And um, I was affecting a lot of people, mostly my family, uh, with my um, lack of preparation. Um, you know, I would, uh, I would lose a job because of my drinking. Um, I wouldn't find a job right away. And I would call up my family asking for money. And it got to the point where when uh, they answered the phone, they would be like, yeah, it seems like you only call for money, James. How much do you need now? And uh, that's just no way to live. That's just horrible. Because um, I... How'd that make you feel when they said that to you? Uh, it, it, it was fleeting because I was like, just happy that they were asking me how much I needed because <laughs> I knew that it was okay. coming soon and I could get what I wanted. So, um, you know, it hurt, it hurt. And, uh, luckily it's been uh, over three years since I've had any calls like that. Thank God. And, um, I don't have any, uh, I would have fear of people back when I was drinking because, you know, I was always isolating and I was always uh, lying and cheating and stealing. And, you know, if I was, faced with someone like my first thought would be like what did I do to this person I would have this this overwhelming feeling of paranoia and um and like you know I was always high or drunk so I would think like oh they probably know you know and if they know what are they gonna do they're gonna treat me different I don't have that anymore I can go up to anyone and, and look them in the eye and and tell them how I feel I've mentioned before that I try to do everything out of love. And when you're loving and caring and full of compassion, you can, you just, you want to see into people's souls and you want to really help them. Um, the economic insecurity, um, as soon as I got sober, maybe a month or a month and a half after I got a job and I was there because I knew that I had bills to pay, I had child support to pay, I had to get my driver's license back. There was so much I needed to do. And I was clear-headed and I, I was putting God first. So I, I got a job and I think when you have a job 
and you're making money and you're paying bill on time, there's just this overall overall sense of like relief and you know everything's going to be okay because you know you're not living life in emergency mode um unless you're off the grid somewhere or you know you're completely covered and you're rich you know you need to have a job and you need to be part of society and when you're clear-headed when i was clear-headed and sober um i was able to, to re-enter society and it's just you know, luckily for me, I have a wife that takes care of the financial side of things. Uh, I have my jobs, but, you know, whenever I get money, I just give it to her. We have uh, we have Finance Friday. Um, so every every Friday we sit down um, and we get to work out our finances. Um, she, she comes up with the, the meeting ideas, and my job is to only come up with one idea every meeting. So I love that. And they can't be more than a half an hour long because she knows she'll lose me after that. <clears throat> Anyways, I'm rambling now. Um, I'll just say that. We you guys love alliterations, and I no love judgment. that. <laughs> well, you have wacky Wednesdays, wow. too. Well, that's it's for our menu. That's something thing. Well, maybe you guys can uh, <laughs> think, of, think of an example here. I'll give one to, to start. On Promise 11, we'll intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. Um, the the first time that I was called for a 12-step call and I had to, to do one of these really, uh, really rocked me um, because it was somebody that I uh, had met in meetings and was friends with and had to go to their house and help them uh, kind of get back on their feet because they had already uh, relapsed and take them to a meeting. I've done, I don't know, probably less than 10, more than five 12-step calls. And they they can be intense. Um, you know, I, I don't like doing the ones where the person doesn't actually want to get clean. It's somebody else that is trying because that's there's a lot of emotional whether it's a spouse or a friend or uh, a mother um, those are really emotional and then you have to kind of explain to the person that hey if they if they're not willing this thing won't work you know and that's that's tough to uh, you know there's usually tears in the eyes um, you know I know it says in the in the book you know if, if they're not ready to, to not do it um, but I'll always go just for the, the conversation to kind of have that conversation with them. But I can't, I couldn't even imagine, I couldn't even imagine that I would be, be doing that. Like when I read it in the big book, I'm like, okay, you know, I, I'll, I'll come up with an excuse to avoid doing that. Um, but I did, I got a lot out of it every time, but it is emotional you know, I just I remember what my sponsor always says of, you know, if somebody's going through a tough time and they call you, uh, just know that, you know, you you are not their God and to not drink over whatever happens, you know, and I've been successful doing that. Uh, do you guys have a example of when you intuitively knew how to handle, handle situations? Yeah, I um, I don't think I have a specific example, but I, I do I do like what you said about, you know, other alcoholics, 
you know, when you're in the program for, say, my case, almost three years, you, you go to meetings every day, you, you, can, you know what to say to, to someone who needs help or to someone who, who you know is sick of their addiction, they're completely selfish, and then a lot of times you know that, you know, there's nothing you can say, that you just need to listen to them and be like, okay, uh, well, I suggest you do this, this, and this. And, you know, if they take it, that's on them. You know, you can only do so much attraction, not promotion. We all know that. And, um, you know, I've been on uh, a couple 12-step calls where, you know, it's, it's very powerful, you know. A lot of times it is the spouse, but what, you know, I've been on one where you can't do anything, you know, you just, you have to leave them there. Um, another thing, um, intuitively handle situations, um, for me, um, the, the mother of my children, uh, my ex, um, tends to sometimes get into, um, these emotional bottoms and she, she'll send me a text um, and it's just like you know, ripping me apart, like about all the stuff I did in the past. Keep in mind, I've done a nine step and I've made a man and I've cleaned my side of the street. Um, but these days, like I don't, I, I know how to handle that. And by handling that, I just come from a place of love. I always refer back to that. If you, when you're, when I have any situation that is just, you know, like, I can't believe this. Like, how dare you do this to me? My first thought is, like, how do you do that? I, I have to come back to, like, hey, whoa, whoa, they're not doing anything to you. You're taking it that way. What, are, what is the message here, you know? What, what do I have to do the next step? And then the pause comes in. I can pause. Sometimes I'll, I'll write out the text, and then I'll be like, oh, nope, nope, nope. And I'll erase the whole thing, and I'll wait. And uh, that, that saved me so many times. So, you know, before uh, situations would come up and I would just be so quick to lash out in anger, just like, how dare you? Uh, so so it, it helps to have Dennis. Thanks. Yeah, I would agree, you know, in that aspect of it, as far as like helping others and, and, you know, dealing with, not dealing with, but like interacting with struggling alcoholics and stuff. And I think that comes from, you know, because that was us. And in the meetings, we hear what we need to hear. We do the book, we do the steps. So we're using our own experience to help someone. Um, to bring it even out more is like, like before when I was drinking and drugging, I was always high or drunk or dealing with it my head was a cloud so i got very overwhelmed by like everything you know if someone asked me to do something like i would think about it and just become overwhelmed and confused uh, baffled about like what to do and you know that led to anxiety and stuff like that and i think once you know my head got cleared and, you know, I learned not to run away from things all the time and like, you know, just like step up to the plate kind of and show up and, and do stuff. It is it, like it changed, you know, we're now like I can think more clearly. I've 
have a different track record than when I came in. I have more experience with stuff and a little bit more wisdom from listening to everyone in the meetings and stuff talk that like when situations like happen, like if it's something bad going on or, you know, someone asked me to do something or something like that, it, it like, I just do it. You know what I'm saying? And like, and handle it. it that like, I don't know how to explain it really. It's just like, where before I would just like overthink it or be afraid of it or run away from it and just like, oh, I'm overwhelmed. I'm going to go hide in my room or like run away or ignore that person or something to where now it's like you just step up and you do it, you know? And I've noticed it a lot when I'm working on like creative projects and stuff like that to where like, you know, oftentimes I have to be like, I'm literally the director or whatever. And you know, on like film sets, you, you know, they're pretty chaotic. There's always something going on and nothing goes the way it's planned or anything like that to where, so you're, you're basically as like a director, everyone looks at you and you're like everyone comes to you with all their little problems and you have to make a decision like right there before, like in the early projects that I had done or whatever you're, I was filled with like, anxiety and like oh my god and i'd have to overthink it i'd have to take five minutes to step away blah 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 to where now like someone comes to the project i just i make that decision it's like all right problem solving on the fly and you just know what the hand you know you don't overthink about it. is this the right way to do it the wrong way to do it or whatever you make that decision you just do it and it always and it usually works out um and then it's that that situation you know, it's kind of like a niche situation. It's very specific, but it's easy to illustrate that because that happens like every day in life. You know, you get a call in to work or whatever, and you have to go in or whatever. You intuitively know like, okay, I just go in. I don't have to think about like, oh, it's supposed to be my day off or whatever this. Why isn't this person? Blah, blah, blah. You just, you just yeah. do it and you know I, that I think you can it does. do it. Yeah, I hope any yes. of that makes sense. So let's, let's wrap Thanks, up. It. Let's wrap up if we can with the the final promise <laughs> and maybe think think of like 90 seconds each just so that way we can really nail this home of uh suddenly realizing that god is doing for us what we, we could not do for ourselves i know for me that anything that uh promise one through 11 would not have been possible without god um and how important that is that when I'm sitting in a meeting, I think of every single person that gets called on by the chairperson to share as they were supposed to share. I was supposed to be in the room and I was supposed to listen to them say this and implement it in my life. And they're a channel of God actually um, doing that. That's why I always will. I love going to meetings and I love talking to another alcoholic because I myself that's how I connect with God is in the rooms. And I'm so grateful that they exist and that this program does and that they put Bill and Bob together to actually make this happen and uh, to see that. So do you guys have uh, a share on promise 12? Yeah. Um, thanks Mike. Um, thank God for AA. Thank God for 
you and Dennis, you guys are amazing little friends. So thanks. Um, oh yeah, 90 seconds. God is doing for me what I could not do for myself. That is keeping me sober every day. I fought with all my heart to stay sober for over a decade. You guys know my story. I could not do it. And um, that's because I was trying it my way. Um, something happened to me. Um, it's hard to explain it. And it's spiritual experience, uh, profound enough to completely give me an overhaul, a different view on life, a psychic change, if you will. And, um, I, and I knew by coming into the rooms and by learning what I know in the meetings that um, I need to put God first every day. And um, every day I pray to God and he keeps me sober one day at a time. And I can't do it alone. And that's what he's done for me. Thanks, James. <laughs> Dennis, wrap us up. Boring. I'm just kidding. Um, oh, yeah, I'll try to make this quick. Looks like oh, we're out of time, boys. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> oh, cue, the, cue the music. Um, all right, real quick. I. Similar to James, like this is one promise that I can absolutely 100% sure, like even on my worst days, I know this is absolutely true and it's come true. For me, like back in February was seven years, like a personal anniversary of when I had a spiritual experience, very similar to one that James had that like set in motion, like series of events in my life that changed me completely and like you know i went through complete hell you know absolutely the bottom you listen to you know episode two where i tell my story or whatever with all the anxiety and the isolation and being couch ridden and all that crazy shit you know all of that kind of started like seven years ago so to me i went through this complete hell and then, you know, eventually made it into the rooms and, and eventually, you know, I'm here sitting on a podcast talking to all you beautiful people. Um, and I kind of had this realization. I kind of knew it at different points and and stuff that like, you know, I came to believe in God and, and stuff like that. But I had this like kind of profound realization on the uh, back in February on my like seven year anniversary for this crazy event that I can only describe as this. a a spiritual experience and you know it's it's, i realized that like oh my god all of this stuff and like kind of reflected all on everything that happened in the last seven years and to where i was and to where i am now that like that like god saved my life and i can only say like that it's god i can try to rationalize it and all of this and like what this happened because of this or whatever but overall it was all god And it's because none of this happened, even me sitting here on a podcast, never, it wasn't really a choice of mine. It wasn't an idea of mine. It wasn't my own motivation and my own desires that, that brought me to where I am today through everything else. And it, it, it's like, you know, it's like, I can only describe it as some kind of divine thing that's way bigger than myself that is there. And it sounds crazy, but that's like, that's how I feel about it. And I, and I can see it in like every 
day of my life. You know, it's like if you seek it shall be shown or whatever, if you search for God, you will find him, you know, and every day in my life, like these little like nudges or the so-called coincidences and like just, you know, the right people bring brought into my life at the right time or the right people leaving my life at the right time and just situations in it. In hindsight, it all just seems like, oh, my God, what the what the freak is going on here? And if you if I look at my life now to where it was, it's like, you know, I'm where I would never thought I would have ever been. And where I was was complete hell. And like it took all the good and the bad to get to this point. And, you know, it's like, like, you know, for ease of mind, like it's definitely God that did that. And it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, thank you, guys. This is, um, you know, maybe topics in the future. We should break up into a couple sections, too, to actually uh, to get the most out of it. I appreciate you guys from the bottom of my heart. Uh, thank you for everything you do and carrying that message to uh, make these promises come true in other people. I think that's that's the whole point of this thing. You carry the message that way the promises come true in a newcomer. You know, it's uh, it's important. We'll be back next Thursday sharing Indeed. our experience, Indeed. strength and hope with you Absolutely. on episode 33 of the Defective Characters podcast. Entirely ready to have all these character defects removed. Remember, a promise is a promise. And we'll see you next time.